I'm Colin Martin, and you're listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast i'm steve mcpherson and i'm here with cal williams cal i have an entrepreneurial opportunity for you all right i am interested in opening a sub shop here in the twin cities where we will serve not six inch not foot long but foot and a half long subs i would like to make you the face of this franchise and it would be called craving half a yard (laughs) your thoughts um well, I'm first of all honoured that you've taken notes uh, of, of my commentary. So, um, uh, yes, I shall gladly um, gladly help you on this endeavour for sure. <laughs> I think the, the British tones and then, you know, the combination of delicious sandwiches that are, are one and a half feet long, uh, I just, I don't know how anyone could resist, so. I, I think so, and... Um, you know, we, we could have a sprinkling of, of different uh, options and... and we we could name different sandwiches, uh, other things, couldn't we? we? We could name them like the, um, the myriad of maybes or, yes. or something. Some or, kind of alliterative, you know. Mm-hmm. You could name them after players is another option. You could but. do as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I I'm all in. I'm sold. I'll see if I can come up with some uh, some sandwich names for next week. Um, this is all about brainstorming. So um, I'll, I'll look into what I think would be some quality sandwich options, and then we can get this started. So, Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I would have a, sp- a specialty, and okay. it would be called The Lovely Bloke. Okay. Um, and it would be... <laughs> I uh, love this as a name for a sandwich. <laughs> it would be uh, buffalo chicken. Okay. Um, with, I don't know, um, uh, little bits and bobs of uh, <laughs> vegetables. I don't sure. Know. Um but mainly buffalo chicken okay. and a bit of cheese or okay. something like that. That, that would blue be cheese, the lovely delicious. Bloke. The lovely bloke. I like it. Um, <laughs> let's let's talk about some soccer. Uh, we're recording this a little bit later in the week. We've had this this run of double game weeks where we've recorded on Monday or Tuesday, and it feels like the next game coming up on the weekend is so far off. Uh, I thought we would, since we had a friendly on Wednesday last night, this is now we're, we're recording Thursday. If we would make it uh, a Thursday podcast for a Saturday game, then then we've got it. We're a little closer to that game, but we do need to go back and talk about FC Dallas mm. uh, from last week. This, uh, it sort of feels like ancient history at this point. I was going to say, but when was this game again? I don't even like, remember oh. when this was 2017. No, this was oh. last week. Um, I think it's worth mentioning. I, I think one of the big takeaways from this game for me was that uh, looking at the very solid win over San Jose, um, the tough comeback win against Montreal on the road, you know, this was definitely a game that it could have ended nil nil or one, one and felt totally fair. Yep. Um, and I think that this is one of those games where taking three points uh, is one of those things you have to do. And I'm not saying you should have control over whether it happens or not. A lot of t- I mean, I think that, you know, this gets into the question of analytics and numbers and stats and what's the like. And you look at games where the expected goals for one team is 2.7 and they don't score any goals. You know, sometimes it's just the way it goes. I don't know how much control you have over this, but these are the kind of games. These are the kind of games you get a result out of this. That's what that's what propels you into a good position in the playoffs 
versus being lower down or maybe out of the playoffs. And it's just one of those things that like, I remember plenty of games. I mean, think about that Atlanta, the Atlanta United game away, right? That was a one Oh game going into stoppage. It, 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 it looked for all the world, like a one Oh game lost three zero in years previously, plenty of games that Adrian referred to as nearly games where you lose by a goal or something in a game that should have been a draw. Um, this is the team getting a result out of a game that basically should have been a draw. And that's big. I feel like that's a huge part of, again, I hate to say it's a huge part of becoming a better team because again, I don't know how much you can control for this, but I think it's the kind of win that can generate momentum and generate a kind of feeling among the team that this is what they'll be able to get out of a game. The biggest difference for me from this Minnesota United team to the one that we had watched over the past two years, and this was confirmed to me after the Dallas game, was that now we have a team at our disposal that sometimes in football you you don't play well and you win. Yeah. That wasn't the case with Minnesota United over the past two, two and a half years. Yeah. You can never not play well. Now it is. expect to get a result. Yeah. Because Minnesota United didn't play well against Dallas. No. They looked completely shot. And they won. Yeah. That's the main difference for me with this team now is, is that we have enough on the roster where it can just take a split second and whoever it may be, whether it is Mason Toy or whether it's Quintero or maybe it's a particular passage of play from Alonso or great defensive play from Opara or something along those lines or, as was the case against Dallas, a fabulous penalty save from Vito Minone. Um We now have these little individual pieces that make this team so much better. And and, and I, th- I think it's okay to say that, Steve. I think it's a sign of growth big mm-hmm. time. Yes. Um, and, and I just, I would just fancy Minnesota United at Allianz Field uh, over just about anybody at the moment. Yeah. And, and like I said, they don't necessarily have to play well to win anymore. Mm-hmm. And what I will say about Allianz Field on the Saturday as well was that the atmosphere was, was staggering. Absolutely. And, and the fans, I, I don't care what anybody says. For me, the fans carried Minnesota United over the line. Yeah. Um, because the atmosphere was fabulous. It, it was beyond raucous. And and I know, having spoken to a couple of players after, after the game, they had said that it, it certainly gave them a lift, the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, so, it, look, I just think it's the perfect package right now, Minnesota United at Allianz Field. Um, and as I said, um, in, in a competitive game, I would fancy Minnesota there over just about anybody in MLS. Yeah, it really feels like the the fans and the supporters have kind of broken in the stadium now in a way that was, you know, they knew what to do at the start of the season and uh, they would they would often deliver it. But um, I think over the course of the season, you've really seen, you know, it's funny to think about the supporters as having a form as well, right? Like whether the, the team is in form or the supporters are in form. The supporters are in form right now. Yes. It, it feels like the, the responsiveness is there. That, that m- those moments of needing to sort of like force the team up, especially at a, in, in a game where the team is obviously exhausted. Um, it really, really driving the team forward. That's huge. And I think that that is a thing that we've seen grow over the season. And I think that's the thing that's only going to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as the, the games have more stakes as well, you know, we're looking yeah. at, you know, an open cup semifinal coming up. We're looking at fighting for playoff position, things like that. That stuff is all having the supporters in form for that really matters. Um, yeah. And then I think, as you're saying, having some 
you've got guys who can make a difference in a split second. I think that, and I think that's not all. I mean, it is guys like Jan Gregush also who took that shot, yep. which was an underrated component of Mason's goal. Because I think watching back the replay, um, you know, if you think about the number of, if you think back to when the team was really struggling on offense, the number of shots that would just be straight on goal, you know, where they would get an opening, but then fire it right at the goalkeeper or something like that. Like just not quite, they would either not fire at one time or they would wait too long and there'd be too much preparation. Gray Goosh in that moment, when he got the ball, he moved it. He got it on his left foot from Olam also, who was a late sub. And like, again, I think Lawrence Olam sneakily just been a huge addition to just mm-hmm. have a guy that solid coming in when, you know, Ozzy went out with the sort of knock on the shoulder. Right. So, so, so Olam gets it to Gray Goosh. Gray Goosh moves it to his right foot and he, and he moves right long enough to get the keeper to commit that direction, you know, just enough. And then he fires it back across the net so that the, you know, the keeper's forced to sort of sprawl out. Like if mm-hmm. the keeper had stayed centered, if he hadn't carried it quite as far as he did, he might've been in a better position to make an act to a save that he held on to, rather than one where he just got his hand on the ball and it came out and toy, uh, who I'm going to talk about in a second toy got it and, and finished it. Um, having those guys who, who they're rounding into form in terms of taking those shots. And then again, having Olam on the team, adding him was, was, was big toy coming into to running into form as well. Uh, as a, as a depth option, um, is tremendous. And with Mason, I'm always, I'm always a little hesitant. I think I've said this before. I'm a little hesitant to say like, he's arrived after a string of good games. He's had like four goals in three league games or something like that. Um, that's great. But again, we've seen it before. We've saw Abu look really good right at the end of the first season. And then just, you know, he, Abu has, is dealing with his own issues with injuries and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I don't want to say, like, he's got it all now. I think Adrian Heath would be the first person to say he's got to keep working. He's seen the rewards of his hard work, but he has to keep working. But I think that I'm really encouraged, not just by his finishing. Obviously, the goals are terrific. Having game-winning goals, that's big for him. But his sense of space and timing, his, his sort of movement off the ball, um, and then the composure on his finishes, you know, to, to get in front of a goal like that and, and finish it correctly, you know, not to sky it, not to try to do too much with it, just to put it into the open space where there isn't a goalkeeper, you know, that's big. And I think that those are things that are clicking and then that's foundational. There's a lot there that can be, that can be built upon. And it's great to see He just, he seems like the kind of, the kind of kid who knows what he wants, which Adrian says all the time, he wants to be a player. And I think he's now showing that he's not just has the, the, the raw tools to do it, but is developing some of like the solid fundamental tools to build on, to have a, a career. He, he's blossoming at a vital time for Minnesota United and uh, and for himself, to be honest, as well, because this this was truly the, the I, I would argue, um, the time for the young players to, to be included because of the amount of games in such a short amount of time. And, and he's not the only one, by the way. You know, we've obviously seen Chase Gasper and Hassani Dotson yeah. uh, make the most of their opportunity as well. But the, the two things about Mason Toy, so... Um, what I loved about his goal was as soon as Jan Gregus unleashed the efforts, he peels, uh, Mason Toy peels away from the center half and starts making a run almost instantly um, because he's anticipating the shot being saved. Yep, yeah. Um, and his, his off-the-ball movement has improved so much in, in such a short amount of time, Steve. And I think I might have said this on, on a previous podcast, if not certainly on another platform somewhere. Um, Mason was beyond raw when we, when we brought him in. Yeah. Um, and I know Mason won't mind me saying this. He, 
he um, th- th- there was a- an obvious lack of of maturity in his game, and he he needed coaching right from the the very bottom of the totem pole, if you will. He it, it was to the point where the coaching staff had to just do little things like just get a ball in front of him in their hands and throw it up. And he had to just head the ball back to them. Mm-hmm. Just as simplistic as that. But he was struggling with that at the first um, hurdle. And it, it, was, it was such a frustrating period for the coaching staff because they could see something because Mason Toy was was playing high school football literally, you know, a, a year before um, we had we had drafted him. And he was literally just getting the ball at his feet, head down, and just running and, and taking on players and, and scoring. Right. That's not how real football works. Yeah. That's, as, as I said, and I said that with all due respect to high school soccer, but that, that's not how, um, how that works. And um, I think Mason has had a lot of adjusting to do, uh, and, and he's had to really get to understand the little intricacies of the game and it's not just uh, a one-man game you know football's very very much the the opposite end of the scale yeah Yeah. um and um but the coaching staff have worked tirelessly with him adrian heath um uh, well first of all let's um let's get this right mason toy couldn't really have a, a better person to work under as a center forward um you know um I had a quick chat with uh, with Kyle Lowren actually a couple of weeks ago, and, and Kyle Lowren had said to me that if it wasn't for Adrian Heath, I wouldn't be where I am right now. He's mm-hmm. he spent hours and hours and hours with me after training sessions, working on the timing of runs and and body shape and, and technique. Um, and Dom Dwyer has said the same, and and several others have said the same as well. Um, and I think. Uh, Mason has now reaped the rewards of working under Adrian, but also as well, one one chap who we, we mustn't dismiss uh, whilst we're talking about this particular subject is Ian Fuller, who, who spent a tremendous amount of time with Mason Toy working on the timing of his runs. I remember watching a, a session in 2018, and, and I can't remember who, who stayed behind to help, but um, Ian Fuller would, would play a through ball at the top of, um, right about 30 yards out, I would say, to a wide player. It was either on the left or the right-hand side. And it the, the particular drill was was designed to um, help Mason understand which run to make, but more importantly, the timing of it. And there were times right. when the ball was crossed in and Mason had gone too early, which meant he was leaning back a little bit. And, you know, because the ball was slightly behind him, he was leaning back. And there were times when he arrived way too late and he, he threw himself and he was uncomposed because he threw himself at the ball. And... Um, you know, little things like that. I don't think people realise how how long it takes to to master that technique and um, and you know so many different aspects of, of being a centre forward and, and being a centre forward like Mason as well. Um, but credit where credit is due to the coaching staff. Uh, and you'll notice if you go back and watch Mason's goals straight away, he goes over to Ian Fuller to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he does so this this weekend's um, score, he'll, he'll again, I'm sure, go over to Ian Fuller because, again, the two of them have worked tirelessly together over the course of the last 18 months. And now, obviously, both parties are reaping the rewards. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Vito Manone and that, uh, that, that penalty stop. I mean, I don't know how much there is to say about the stop itself. It's kind of one of those things where 
that's just that moment where the whole game slows down and it's two guys facing each other. Um, it, I'll ask you, was that a penalty in I, your opinion? I thought so. Yeah. Okay. Because put it this way, if that's not given as a foul outside the box, you'd be frustrated. Sure. So for me, that's it, it's a foul inside the box is a penalty. Okay. Um, okay. I, I think... Um, I don't know enough of the the nuance and vagary of like the rules with regards. I mean, there's things that I'm like, okay, well, he got he got man, not ball. That's a penalty, right? Um, mm -hmm. And certain things like that. But some of that stuff where it's like two players going in opposite directions, both contesting for a ball, um, which you know, like the like the Reynolds had not touched the ball yet; it had been coming into him. So I was just, I was just wasn't certain for myself. I'm like, does he then have right of way? You know, the sort of like the who has possession, who has the, the opportunity for that. But um, I, you know, it seems like most people I've talked to have said, yeah, that's sort of along your lines. That would be a foul, so it's a penalty. I, I think I think Reynolds made the most of it, yeah. no doubt. He, sure. he he felt contact and and decided to go down. Which which why wouldn't you? But um, I. Uh, uh, yeah, let's put it this way. If that happens at the other end, everybody will be crying for a Yeah, okay. All right, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, that stop was, uh, let's just touch briefly. That stop was incredible. Um, just the fact, also going into it, that um, he had been studying Ziegler and, you know, he had been consistently going the other direction. Yes. And I talked to Vito about this and he was saying how, you know, just as he was, as, as Ziegler was running up, it was just something off. Just he was like, I don't think he can put it into that side of the net. I'm gonna go the other way. After everything would indicate he would go to Vito's left. Vito went right, he guessed correctly. That's just that's some tremendous mind games and, and fun stuff. Well, it's instinctive, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and uh, well done to, to Vito for, for seeing all that and, and guessing right. Um I uh look what I will say is I think it's a save um that a that a goalkeeper should make. Um sure. In terms of the height of the ball and, and where the ball actually ends up landing, I think it's a it's a comfortable save for a goalkeeper to make. I think what was amazing more than anything was was the moment and and the whole surrounding of of the actual uh, penalty kick and everything. And um, you know, look at what a tremendous moment for Minnesota United and, and right. what what drama at the end of of you know what was. Let's be honest, it wasn't a particularly enthralling game. Right. Um, it all happened in the last three minutes. It did, really, yeah. Um, there were a couple of little efforts. I thought Manoni made some good saves throughout the game. Actually, there was one particular effort which um, Acosta fired from 25 yards out or so, and Manoni made a really, really good save. So, again, seeing him in the MLS team of the week is no surprise. Sure. Um, again, Vito Manoni is becoming more comfortable in Major League Soccer and um, understanding uh, the little nuances of the league and, and um, getting to know his players his surroundings better. Um, Vito Manone has been a, a fabulous acquisition for Minnesota United for sure. Yeah, it's big. All right, let's, uh, this is, and we're about to talk about, when we talk about RSL, we'll get to this as well. It seems like every game has enormous implications for the playoffs at this point because it's all these teams that are in and around those spots. Um, you know, it looked like FC Dallas was another challenger. Now I feel like expectations of FC Dallas have recently been revised down, that they're they're sort of flagging a little bit falling is in some sense because of that result in a lot of ways. What, how would you predict the finish for the Western conference and the standings? I'll give you mine first. Okay. And you can look it up. I know I didn't prepare you for this, but you have, <laughs> you have a phone. So you have the power. Um, here is my predicted finishers. Okay. Shocker. I like LAFC for the top. <laughs> um, I like 
Seattle Sounders right below that. I think that they are, they have weathered the storm of the international break and have gotten back uh, quality players like Rui Diaz and they're going to, they're going to be good. They're in second place right now. I don't see them relinquishing that. I think the Timbers are making a run to the third spot. Uh, they wow. are out of the playoffs right now. Um, I, but they look really good right now. They have a ton of home games. It's unbelievable. They played something like four home games, I think at this point in the season. So then I like Minnesota United uh, right there in that fourth spot. San Jose, who everybody seems to really love, even though we beat them twice. Um, I'm just going to leave that right there. San Jose in fifth. Uh, the LA Galaxy, who seem to be kind of floundering, are going to fall to that 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 sixth spot. Um, but they have too much talent to completely drop out of the playoffs, I think, this season. And then right now, I'm saying RSL, I think, in that last spot. But that's very flexible. Um, I think FC Dallas, if they get their act together, uh could could do well and get into that spot. What do you think? Um, I don't so, really like predicting, but I just thought I'd do it. So, so I would agree. I mean, I I don't know anybody who doesn't fancy LAFC to finish top of the Western Conference. <laughs> um, what I'm what I'm starting to see is is then the, the next three teams. There is the tiniest of gaps starting to appear and, and particularly if, if Minnesota win at RSL actually this weekend um, there could be an even larger gap as well um, I I would I, I still think LA Galaxy will finish second because okay. I they, they score so many goals um, I think that defensively they can be a little suspect from time to time but um, they have a lot um, a lot of protection ahead of them now with uh, Jonathan Dos Santos uh, and uh, Joe Corona uh, coming back into the into the fray. Um, Perry Kitchen, if he ever plays, is is, is decent in central midfield as well. Um, I would then go for for Seattle. I think again they've got a lot of goals in them. Um, I think uh, Kim Kihi is is playing out of his mind right now as a centre half. Um, Roman Torres is slightly suspect from time to time, but I. Uh, I still think the Sounders are stern enough mm -hmm. with the combination of Roldan and, and Svensson in the midfield as well. I think they're, they're okay. Um, then, yeah, I would I would agree. I would say I think Minnesota United are are um, a good bet to have finishing fourth, which, by the way, would mean a home playoff game at Allianz Field. Yeah. Um, which you can win and then earn the right to face LAFC. Yes. So. Um, I would... Um, I would think San Jose will will finish fifth. So essentially, I, what I'm saying is is that I think it's more or less the way it is right now, apart from LA and Seattle swapping places. Do you think the Timbers make a run in there? They get um, in I was seventh. just about okay. to say I, I think the Timbers, um, one of the sixth or seventh okay. spots. I think the Timbers get themselves back into it. Um, I I just can't see a postseason without Sporting Kansas City. Um, and and I I can just okay. I mean because right now they're four points off of seventh, sure. and everybody talks about how much of a torrid campaign it's been for them and everything. They're four points off of seventh. It's, the Western Conference is insane. So. It is ridiculously tight. <laughs> and look, Houston Dynamo have themselves a, a, a fabulous um, attacking quartet as well. And, sure. and you know, um, so <laughs> Dallas, I would agree. I think at the moment they're sort of undergoing a bit of a pirouette aren't they and, and they're um, plummeting um, without any sign of, of real recovery at the moment although you know I think at home they're a decent team but mm -hmm. um, 
I just can't see a postseason without Kansas City, Steve. I just can't see it. I would love for that to happen. Kansas City is one of my favorite teams that is not Minnesota United to to follow. Um, I would love to see it. Uh, I, I don't know exactly. Again, they're four points off, so who knows what could happen. But I just feel like there's still some disarray and some injury concerns there and in terms there of are. you know in terms of getting everybody healthy and then who is their you know who's their score who's well, the point so, of the spear here uh, right and so this is why i still think they, they may sneak in because those injuries now are starting to disappear they're yeah, starting to sure. get more of their first team um look about them and they're getting a, a regular look about them I, I have heard again from a couple of different people that they are um trying uh, exceptionally hard to to sign a center forward from from overseas um and not the first time kansas city have tried to do this they've been trying for for several years um to get a certain individual and and i think um their attention has been forced elsewhere so if they get themselves a center forward who can who can score you know in in the last um what 14 games if they can get somebody who who can score seven eight goals i i really think that they um they're going to sneak into the playoffs yeah okay well we can revisit it after the transfer window closes maybe there we then go we'll, that's then, fair. then we'll know so uh all right uh briefly i i was not at the aston villa game uh i had another game to attend um oh. sort of a, a prestigious i mean it was a fortunate an event that i got to attend um my seven-year-old s- soccer game um they played to a draw a one-one mm. draw so uh some really good quality out there um, not very many offside calls because all the players were around the ball a hundred percent of the time. Uh, the defenders didn't step up. You know, I think they could have caught him offside a few times, yeah, but, yeah. um, but really, you know, everybody had a good time. Uh, I think, which was, which was important. Uh, popsicles were ahead at the end. So I didn't go to Jealous. the Aston, <laughs> I didn't go to the Aston Villa game, but I know the Aston Villa game was a tremendous moment for you as a man who grew up an Aston Villa fan. Uh, just, just give me your your impressions, your take, uh, your feeling of, of, of having your boyhood team here at Allianz Field. Um, I've, I've been asked this several times, Stephen, and I'm, I'm still sort of struggling to come up with the best way to describe it. Um, I think just the, over the course of the last few days, it, it's just been utterly bizarre having a team that I, I as you mentioned, grew up watching. I had season tickets for several years as a teenager um started watching them when i was six years old with my dad um you know i've been around them so much particularly back in england covering the premier league and the football league i'd been around aston villa a ton so it wasn't anything new but it was just the the bizarre nature of the situation because of of their surroundings you know i was um I was watching Aston Villa training um, on the, the the Monday or the Tuesday. I can't remember, and um, I just remember just thinking how just so out of place this all felt because they're in Minnesota, and 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 I just, I just you yeah. know I, I would see um, you know the I would see the Minnesota United crest because um, it's obviously sprinkled around the training facility, and then I would look up and see Jack Grealish and, and I thought to myself that <laughs> it didn't make sense at all my my mind sure. was completely and utterly boggled and um it it just um yeah I think bizarre is probably the right way to describe it for me for sure um but it it's um it was beyond a a, a thrill and a, and, a, and a joy as well the whole experience because you know not not only doing the game but the whole um you know, uh, events surrounding the game. Um, 
I hosted a, a Q and A at uh, at a pub downtown um, with the, the Villa CEO. Um, did a little pub quiz. Um, helped with uh, the launching of the new Villa jersey. Um, and then um, just hearing the uh, the Birmingham accent and and talking to so many people who said, "Oh, I, I'm from this town. I'm from this town. I'm from. You know, I live on this road." And I was just, it was so strange because we're, we're in Minneapolis and yeah. I, I was hearing all these people saying these things and, and, and all areas that I was and still am familiar with growing up. And um, I think the most um, the most enjoyable part of it, though, Steve, more than anything, was was getting to experience it with my mum and dad, who, who are staunch Aston Villa fans and have both been attending games since the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad still goes down. Mom and dad were both at the playoff final at Wembley. Um, you know, so um, I, I think that the most pleasant experience of the um, of the whole thing was was having them both at training. And my dad couldn't believe the situation he was in, and he was in within touching distance of, of the Villa players, who are essentially his heroes. Yeah. And, um, you know, speaking with the Villa manager afterwards, and and, and we we don't um, often. We don't think about it because we work in football and speaking to to the Aston Villa manager is, is not a big deal to us because we, we work in football. It's just what it is. It's, it's what we do. Yeah. But then when I, I see Dean Smith um, at a bar on, on the Friday night um, and he comes over and shakes my hand and, and, and oh, how are you doing? You know, how's everything going and everything? Um, my dad was just like, <laughs> what? I, 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 that, this isn't normal. This doesn't happen. You yeah. know, and he would go and, and tell his friends back home and stuff, and they're all like, "This isn't normal. Yeah. This doesn't happen." Um, yeah. But to us, it is very normal. And sometimes I think we need to remember, you know, what, how fortunate we are to do what we do. And, and um, it was just a tremendous experience, Steve. But as I said, giving the opportunity uh, to my parents to to be as close as they were to, to their club, to the club that they love and, and adore. Uh, was the most satisfying thing for sure. And um, I'll, I'll be honest, it, it, the whole experience made me miss home. Um, yeah. it, it felt like home, it really did. Um, being in, in, a, in a British pub uh, for the best part of the last couple of days, um, it made me miss home. Yeah. It really did. Um, and, uh, you know, it made me think a, a lot um, about a lot of personal things, and uh, I'll not go too deep into that, but... Um, yeah, it made me miss home a lot for sure. Um, but it was a tremendous experience. Yeah, it's odd when those things happen. I think that for a lot of people who I, I have a lot of friends who grew up in in Minneapolis or St. Paul. They might grow up in St. Paul and now they live in Minneapolis or vice versa. They might grow up, you know, just outside of the Twin Cities. Now they live in the Twin Cities or things like that. Um, and it's always a little unusual if you've moved from someplace else, which is an experience, I mean, some people know what I'm talking about. Other people are just like, well, this is where I've lived. But like, if you come from someplace very different, when you encounter people who are from that place, there's certain commonalities that just are striking. This is, this came to the fore in a very funny way for me. When I was covering the Timberwolves, um, the Alan Horton, who does the radio play-by-play for the Timberwolves, um, great guy. I knew him. I got to know him for about a year, I think. And uh, one day somebody on Facebook, a friend of mine from high school was like, Oh, you know, Alan Horton, like he went to our high school and now I grew up in Massachusetts in a town of 
5,000 people. So my high school was, my high school was a regional high school. My graduating class was a hundred people. So it's <laughs> not, it's very, it's very small. Right. And, uh, and so the next time I saw Alan, it's like, I was like, Oh yeah, you, you went to Mount Greylock regional high school, same place I went. And it's funny. Cause we would talk about it every once in a while. And then there was this one time where I was talking about how, when I was in fifth grade, I was riding a bike, uh, with coaster brakes. Uh, and I fell on this hill. It was like, I was going down this hill following my friend who had handbrakes and I'm trying to like break with the coaster brakes and my bike is falling over the place. And I wipe out on this giant hill. He's like, Oh, where I was like, Oh, like white Oaks road. He's like, Oh yeah, totally. I know that. I know that. hill." <laughs> and so I understand that feeling of like where you, you hear the accent, you hear yeah, the mannerisms yeah. or things like that. And it can bring up all kinds of things you haven't thought about in years and stuff like that. And then it's crazy to juxtapose it with, you know, a giant international friendly game in a brand yeah. new stadium with the team you work for. So I'm glad you got to have that experience. Um, I hope you recover from it quickly. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about RSL. We got about 10 minutes left. Um, previewing Real Salt Lake, uh, RSL are coming off a big win over Philadelphia, uh, who to be fair to Philadelphia have been a little bit stagnant, uh, recently. They only have one win in their last five games, but RSL showing some big flex in the Western conference, just one loss in their last five. Um, what do you think in this game is the immovable object? Is it RSL's, you know, recent string of, of good form playing at home, or is it Minnesota's overall good form uh, winning out despite going on the road to play at Rio Tinto, which is a tough place to play with. I mean, it's a tough place to play away anywhere in the M in MLS, mm. but it's also at altitude. It is, but uh, not I, as much as Colorado. Oh, right. Correct. Um, I, I, I would say Steve that, RSL probably haven't faced a team like Minnesota over the course of those last five games that you mentioned. Um, I was surprised at the scoreline over Philadelphia Union. Sure. Um, I thought they'd beat them, but I didn't think it'd be 4-0. Yeah. Um, Severino looks great. Severino's fantastic, but it's been a while since he's come up against somebody like Ozzy Alonso. Sure. Who um, I, I think both Severino and, and Rushnak, um will uh, it, no doubt will, will be the main threats. But I think um, going up against somebody with the uh, aggressive approach to the game, shall we say, that Aussie has, I think it might startle them slightly. Um, those are obviously the two key players that Minnesota have to keep at bay for as long as possible um, and, and hopefully for, for 90 minutes. But um, I, I'm intrigued um, to see what RSL um, do to contain uh, Quintero. Um, Kyle Beckerman is now 37 years old. Quintero is fabulous um, in between the lines. And um, I'm not sure how um, how RSL are going to go. It, would, it wouldn't surprise me if Everton Louise was, was alongside um, Beckerman again. But Everton Louise will be the box-to-box. -box. He'll, he'll go and, and, um, and attack when, when the quartet ahead push forward. He'll, um, he'll go and help. I just, I wonder if a 37-year-old Kyle Beckerman has enough about him now to follow around a Darwin Quintero who is confident and in form for 90 minutes. Sure. Um, so that's where I, I, I would really suggest people focus their eyes on on, uh, on Saturday evening. Um, I think this could be a good game for, for Darwin Quintero to um, once again, um, you know, have, have a good game and... Um, perhaps grab a couple of assists. Um, Angelo Rodriguez, I'm assuming, will start, um, which is unfortunate for Mason Toy, but this is how football works at times. You're only 20 years of age, you know, and, and Angelo's not in, in bad form either. Right. So um, 
and before you go on, I still like the idea fundamentally of, of Angelo Rodriguez beating up another team's back line for yes. 60 to 70 minutes, you know, and taking the opportunities and maybe scoring a goal. But then once you've beaten the snot out of them, you bring in Mason toy, who's, who's fast and can stretch that defense. And then also showing some of that, that poacher instinct. Now I think developing with things like making that run onto goal after the shot. So like, I don't hate that as, as an overall plan right now. No. And, and I think, um, the performances of Kevin Molina have, have been a, a joy to behold yep. as well over the last couple of weeks. And Absolutely. Again, I'm just not sure they've come up against uh, a team like Minnesota over the, the course of the last couple of weeks. So, um, And with the form that the Loons are in right now, I, I would I would back them against anybody, regardless if it's at Allianz Field or, or away this particular weekend at Rio Tinto Stadium. So um, I think there's going to be goals in it. Yeah. I must admit, because I, 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 as I say, I think Alonso will do what he can to, to contain the threat of Savarino and, and Rushnak um, and, and Krylak's obviously a, a big boy up front as well. I think there'll be goals in it. I, I could see a, a 3-2 thriller. I really can. Sure. Uh, uh, one thing I want to bring in, uh, Jan Gray, was playing against his his countryman, yes. uh, Albert Rushnak. Is that, is that, this is the first time they've faced each other, right? Uh, yes, correct. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so that'll be fun. Uh, also, we've talked before about Greg Ushin and this, you know, the question of how to sort of measure his his comfortability and success because we feel like it's been getting better, but obviously he's not in a role where suddenly he's going to score goals on a, on a, you know, like at a, at a high clip or something like that. There's a great article uh, I would check out, AmericanSoccerAnalysis.com, uh, where they're talking about Minnesota United uh, over the last three years, basically, like what's led to this year being um, different and what's changed and sort of the evolution you've seen through some sort of advanced analytics uh, lenses, which is what they do very well. Uh, one thing they noticed that Gregoosh is in the 90th percentile among players in MLS in terms of ball control. So in terms of measuring uh, things like giving up passes, giving up the ball, giving it away, he's in the 90th percentile, which I think is a really good indicator of, of where a lot of his strength is um, as a controller uh, in his position. Um, so I, I, I thought that was an, uh, an interesting little note there. Gregoosh has got good feet. Uh, and he's a lovely passer of the ball as well, particularly when he sprays the ball, um, you know, over the course of 50, 60 yards as well. The, the um, ability to ping the ball into the feet of the on-running, whether it's the fullback or the, the wide player. Uh, yeah, he, he he's fabulous at doing that. Um, I think he, it took him a little time to get used to the pace of Major League Soccer, um, yeah. which is faster than, than the Danish Superliga. Um, again, I, don't, I think this league doesn't get... Um, the credit it deserves in many different areas, but but that's another one of them in terms of the, the pace of the league. Um, and I think it just took him a little bit of time to to get going. Um, and I think that the only criticism I really have of, of Jan Gregus at the moment is um, it, it's it's that um, the attacking phase when Minnesota push forward, they are rapid, they are so quick. Um, and I think Jan Gregus isn't as, as quick as perhaps he needs to be uh, to join in on the attack, particularly when they break. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that first initial push and, and thrust towards the opposing goal. I think Jan Gregus um, is, is just half a yard too slow right now because in an ideal world, your number eight should either be on the top of the box loitering or should be making a secondary run mm-hmm. to add another threat. And, and you know, secondary run, obviously... Um, would would cause a problem for for the back line because uh, there's there's nobody to mark him. So um, we'll we'll see. But um, that that sort of analysis that you were describing there is not a surprise. Yeah. Because he has he has fabulous feet 
and his passing ranges is lovely. And um, again, I think it helps that he's complemented big time by by Ozzy Alonso, who does a lot of the running for him as well, yeah, uh, and a lot sure. of the, the tidying up. So, um, but look, Jan's been a good signing for Minnesota United, no doubt, and and, it, and it's good to see him now developing into what I think a lot of people thought he was going to be for sure. Uh, this game could also herald the return of Romain Metanier to the team. Who I is, think he it returned, should do, so, yeah. Uh, that's pretty exciting. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a little thing sort of looking at this uh, with him. It was interesting because when he left the team in early June, he had manifestly been the best player uh, for the team. And he now comes back to a team that is considerably better than they were when he left. Um, and I think that's really fun. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel like that's any risk of, of displacing him as a quality player. I think for a guy, he's very sort of um, deferential and, and even given the language difference, I think he is soft spoken generally as a person, but abrasive as a player, which is great. Um, what do you think? What do you think we're going to see? We were sort of spitballing about this around the office. Like, are we going to see him uh, return to the starting lineup uh, for a full ninety? Or are you going to see him come out come out after a sixty to seventy or something like that? Like, what do you what do you think? He's he's played recently. He played July eleventh, so it's not like he's had that long of a layoff. He he will play for the ninety. Yeah. Okay. No no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think here? So here's the other question. Do you think that? Um, Maybe this depends a lot on rest or fitness, which is a thing that they are measuring constantly. Do you think that you see Chase again on the left, or do you think he makes way for Hassani on the left? Chase will be on the left okay, because he's a natural fit at left back. Yeah. He's been, he's been terrific. Um, he's been very good. There's no reason to drop Chase Gasper. It's unfortunate for Hassani, who, who's obviously played very well. Um, but look, I think what we'll, we'll see uh, and um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see this with Metanier at right back, Gasper at left back. And I think um, if Minnesota United, well, it doesn't really matter the, the situation, I guess. I think regardless, with 15 or 10 minutes remaining, I think Asani Dotson will come on and I think he'll slot into the center of midfield. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think if Minnesota are behind, he'll inject energy um, in terms of, um, you know, pushing forward uh, and providing something uh, from an attacking aspect. Um but then also, uh, if Minnesota are leading, I think he'll come in and provide an extra body in the central midfield and do a lot of the running for, for some okay. tired legs out there. So sure. um, I love the versatility of Hassani Dotson. Yeah. Um, you I, go 4-3-3, three, three, have three midfielders. Absolutely, in, in the last 10 minutes or yeah. so, particularly if Minnesota are leading as well. So that wouldn't surprise me. Um, but we'll... We'll wait and see. It's unfortunate for Hassani, yeah. but isn't it a luxury just to have the amount of players that Minnesota do right now? Yeah, well, and his opportunities are not going to dry up going forward. No, so, they're not. By all means. So, Well, thanks for joining us for the 65th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on Saturday. This says July 30th. That's way too late. I forgot to change the date. <laughs> it's July, July 20th, I believe. I believe it is July 20th. Thank you. <laughs> <clears throat> Anyways, uh, Saturday, July 20th, when the Loons travel to the great state of Utah to face Real Salt Lake. That game is a late one. Kicks off at 9 p.m. Central Time, uh, with pregame coverage beginning at 8.30 p.m. on Fox Sports North+. Plus. Aha. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes, or at the very least, a five-star rating, and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. Apologies, as always, to Richard Bogner. You can follow Cal at CalWilliams.com, and I left Twitter because it's a hideous cesspool of vitriol and disinformation. Yes, I will miss the memes, but it just wasn't enough. <laughs> Remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are. <laughs> <laughs>